Hello and welcome to the Onside Kick Family Hour. I'm your host, Ryan Van Biver. With me, as always, Stephen White. How you doing today, Stephen? I'm doing awesome. How about you? I'm doing well. I am ready for week four. Can you believe we're almost a quarter of the way through the season? Uh, it's kind of flying by, actually. Uh, you know, uh, still think, you know, we don't really know about some of these teams, but Man, just looking up, it's going to be a quarter of the way in, and some of these teams already know they probably aren't going anywhere this year. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. You look at some of the teams out there, and I think, too, some of the teams that, you know, like I think most of us thought would be good teams are are struggling a little bit, and I don't know if maybe that's just a product of the early season. Like, you know, people were talking about the Panthers earlier this week. and like, holy shit, the Panthers are one and two. And I'm like, you know, I, I haven't seen s- – Everything, you know, the same Panthers that we saw last year, but, and not to overcompensate for the schedule, but, you know, Denver and Minnesota for two of your first three games, that's a pretty tough set of the schedule. It really is. Those are two excellent defenses. In my opinion, probably the two best defenses in the league so far this year. And, um, you know, one of them's on the road on a Thursday night. It's two very tough games and so uh i'm not sure we know much about the panthers right now uh just based on those two losses it's still a little bit early for them but at the same time (laughs) they got to start winning yeah so you know it's only so many more victories or explanation you can give after a while you keep losing these games you know you start getting further and further away from the playoff hunt. So yeah. right now they're still right in the thick of things, you know, uh, the, the NFC style still isn't that imposing <laughs> per se. You know, we, we kind of thought the Buccaneers were, might make a run of it. Then they're one and two also. Yeah. Uh, and Atlanta, they are two and one, but I don't think they really scare anybody. So, no. um, you know, it, it's still plenty of ball game left. As, as our friend Aaron Nagler likes to say, but um, but they do need to start winning some games. I mean, they they, they got to get that done. Yeah, really, for sure. And and two and another team you might throw in there too that's kind of in that early season panic mode a little bit is Arizona. Oh yeah, they, I I think they might be hitting the panic panic button full throttle right now because uh, you know they can't really say. The same thing as Carolina. They can't really say they lost to two just outstanding teams. I'm not sure anybody picked them to lose to the Bills last week, except for me. (laughs) Except for me. Then I changed my mind because, you know, I overthought it, I guess. (laughs) But, I mean, they didn't just lose. They got their asses kicked, which was, was, I think, was the most surprising part of the thing. Um, and it really probably was worse than the, the score indicated because they came back and I think scored a, a couple times later on in the game. But um, yeah, that, that the things are definitely not going the way they thought they would out in Arizona right now. No, and I, I noticed they cut their long snapper on Tuesday. The guy that <laughs> a game too late, probably. Uh, yeah, but I think so. so. At the end of the day, that 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 bad snap didn't lose in the game. No. It's it just kind of like the, the cherry on the. The, the shit Sunday yep. that was that was going on uh, during that game, but it was just one more thing. Like, okay, we can't keep having this, or we'll keep being on the wrong wrong end of these ass whoopings. So, yep, um, it had to happen. But I mean, 
to cut that guy kind of made it seem like he was a scapegoat when, again, the game wasn't really that close. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, you know, and that's too, you know, that's just a position where you just don't get many opportunities to fuck up. You know what I mean, too? It's just sort of the nature of the beast with being a long snapper, I guess. Not when you're losing. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Because they're gonna look, <laughs> they're gonna look for that guy to make a, a an example of when you're losing, and you're you're the long snapper. Yeah, you're the lowest man on the totem pole. So <laughs> you, you might be under the ground. You might be under the totem pole as well <laughs> if you're losing. So yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that guy knew what time it was before he even made it back into the locker room after the game. Yeah, exactly. And you can't. I mean, you know, obviously, it's easier to take it down on a long snapper than it is. Carson Palmer, even though, you know, he's not doing all that hot to start the season. Not at all. Uh, Not at all. He looks like the Carson Palmer from the NFC Championship game last year. Yeah. And that was not Carson Palmer. We thought maybe he had gotten past those kind of games, really. And then it showed up in the NFC Championship game. And now it's showing up in the early part of the season as well. It is. And that's got to be a huge concern because that's not just, you know, you can't. It's not like if you've got a bad left tackle, you can scheme a little bit and get a tight end out there or something. But, I mean, this is, you know, you know, we saw what Arizona did two years ago when they didn't have Carson Palmer and they lost him with injury and they kind of strung it together to get through the season and, and into the playoffs. But that playoff game they lost that year was ugly without Carson Palmer. And it's kind of been that way to start the season with Carson Palmer. Yeah, that, that's that's unfortunate because – They've been pretty much at, 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 at full strength. You know, you, you can't really look yeah. at them. Again, they don't really, they didn't, haven't really been playing that tough, tough of a schedule. Of course, they lost to the Patriots, but it was the Patriots without Tom Brady. Yeah. Um, you lose this game to a Bills team that was reeling, that had just fired the offensive coordinator. Uh, we thought inexplicably at the time. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you've been relatively healthy. So there's no like obvious thing to say, well, this guy is missing or, uh, you know, they just play tough teams. It's yeah. just kind of like they, they're just not uh, executing. And, and, and a lot of that is on their offense. Carson Palmer, you know, the thing that's scary about that is they don't have really anybody waiting in the wings. They got Drew Stanton. Yeah. So, you're not gonna bench. <laughs> you're not gonna bench Carson Palmer in favor of Drew Stanton right? unless you're already like it'll have to be ten games in and you're already written off for the playoffs. Yeah. So you're all in. It's Carson a bust, and right now he's just not really getting it done, especially when you consider all the talent they have on offense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's not you know this is not an easy game this week. I mean, I know it's it's always funny to get the Jeff Fisher, Bruce Arians talk fired up again, but you know, that's not, and it's a home game for Arizona. So that's easier. But you know, when Carson Palmer's playing this way and then you got to come in and face Aaron Donald and Robert Quinn, that's uh that's not an easy matchup. And I think the worst part about that is it would set the Rams up to be three and one if they win that game. And then we're going to have to listen to a week of, Jeff Fisher contract extension talk, and I think I might have to find a lake and jump in it and hide for a week or so. Oh, I'm sure that you weren't all that happy about them <laughs> in the last week for the Bucks because it didn't look like they were going to win that game at first, and then some kind of way they just turned it around in the second half. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, just to think that the Rams would even be in position to be three and one potentially. Yeah. 
uh, is a shock to most people, and rightfully so. I mean, they 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 even winning the games, man. I look, I looked at the film last week, and they still were not playing great football. No. You know, the Buccaneers helped them a lot in their game to 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 yeah to help them beat them basically. Um, but it, it is what it is. You. you are what your record says you are. That's right. Uh, so if they're three and one, they're three and one, and 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 the Cardinals have to. If, even if they weren't going to take them seriously initially, they, you know they desperately need a win. Yeah, they do. So uh, you know, it, I'm sure the Rams feel like you know they have a great opportunity to go three and one and be tied for the division lead. But if you're the Cardinals, you know, there there is no more tomorrow. You have got to win this game or you're going to look up and you're going to be a, a cellar dweller on the outside looking in by the time the end of the season rolls around. They're, they're, you know, you can't afford to go down one and three. No, because so, Seattle has the Jets this week too, and that's a good chance for them to really, you know what I mean, that can kind of set up that early shift in the, the division standings like that could be tough to dig your way out of. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, uh, you know, this will tell you a lot about both teams because if Arizona can't find a way to win this game against a, a, a Rams team that, you know, not too long ago was blown out 28 to nothing by yeah. the lowly 49ers team. You know, they, they basically fooled us about the 49ers. We thought, hey, maybe the 49ers – Aren't as bad as we thought. And then come to find out, yes, they are. But somehow the Rams were able to go out there and get, you know, boat raced in the first game. And and and, and now, uh, you know, we see that, that, that the 49ers aren't all that good either. So, um, you know, it's going to say a lot about both teams. Yeah. So uh, if, if, if the Cardinals can't pull this win off, maybe – they aren't as good as we thought they were. Yeah. And really, again, that goes back to one thing, Carson Palmer. The other guys seem to be pulling their weight pretty well. Yeah. Uh, the defense could play better, I think. But if they had better quarterback play, I could see them being 3-0 and right now. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's interesting. You know, here's another team speaking of panic, but maybe not time to panic, but it's definitely – a concern if you're the Houston Texans and you you're looking at maybe not having JJ Watt back at all this season now. Right. And you know, here's my thing about that though, is that I said this now he, he got some sacks and he played okay, but you could tell that he still wasn't JJ Watt. Yeah. And, and when you watched him against uh, new England, it, it kind of showed up the most because New England was kind of able to scheme around him. Yeah. When normally he's a guy that you can't really scheme around. You have to just throw as many bodies at, at him as you can. Yeah. But they were able to just kind of run away from him sometimes and maybe bootlegs and stuff like that. Um, and, and they didn't really have to double team him as much as I thought they would. So, uh, you know, this news about his back injury is it, really – disappointing i think for football fans people who aren't who who maybe have a team but just love football in general because i i, I just gotta say man it's fun to watch him play oh yeah uh, last year watching him before he got injured and even after to a certain extent just watching the things that he could do on the football field 
you don't see it all the time. You don't see it much at all. It's very rare. Um, and it's not just the sacks. It's just the way that he was able to dominate a game sometimes without even having to make the play. Just because he 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 garnered so much attention, he 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 warranted so much attention that they allowed other guys to make plays. And so now with him out, um, things definitely have, have have got to pick up for everybody else. Uh, Jadavian Clowney is a guy we've been talking about. Yeah. Who. It seems like he's breaking out a little bit this year. Um, now, last week, I was a little bit concerned because they're basically playing, playing him as a five technique, mm-hmm. right? Um, somewhat like just opposite J.J. Watt. And, and, and the reason why that makes a difference is because, like, when they were playing him as an outside linebacker, mostly he was on air. You know, he's on the edge. He's out there. Uh, fighting off tight ends and maybe offensive tackles every now and then. But as like a more of a five technique against the, the Patriots, he was a three technique a lot of times. He was actually kicked in there inside of the guard and the tackle. And let me just tell you, that's a whole different world for defensive linemen. Yeah. Like if you're used to being a defensive end or outside linebacker, getting those fucking double teams all the time from guards and, and tackles, that shit, it, it's really hard <laughs> to explain just how much more physical everything is and how much quicker everything happens. Yeah. And so here's the guy that we know his injury history. We know that he's had a hard time staying healthy. You know, taking that kind of pounding 40 times a game, I, I'm a little bit worried about how he's going to hold up, to be quite honest. Yeah. But now he, he almost has to be in there now. Because of, of this J.J. Watt injury. And, and that's not to say he can't make an impact. He can because he's been so explosive off the ball and he's really good with his hands now and all those things. He's getting penetration. But that constant pounding that he's going to have to take sometimes yeah. from being you know, kicked inside where normally you would think a guy 300 pounds would be in there. That 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 that's a little concerning for me. So I'm just wondering, especially now with JJ Watt out and, and teams able to more, uh, uh, you know, focus more on Clowney if he's going to be able to stay healthy. Because if he can't stay healthy, man, now you getting down to not having very many playmakers at all. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, and and I said before, I didn't trust their secondary, and I still don't. I think uh, Kevin Johnson has played well at cornerback. Yeah. But but when it comes down to it, when 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 you start losing players, it's a domino effect. So anything that was already bad is going to get worse. Yeah. So uh, you know they have to try to string together as many wins as they can, as best they can, um, and in a hurry. Yeah. Uh, but but the now the flip side of that is. <laughs> Once again, the AFC South is not exactly the hotbed of strong teams in the NFL, right? No, it is not. So, you know, they're going against a Titans team that uh, is 1-2. Uh, the Jaguars are 0-3. I think the Colts finally won a game, so I think they're 1-2 as well. So <clears throat> I don't think any of those teams are going to run away with the division anytime soon. But at the same time, you just never know. So, uh, yeah, the, 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 for for the 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 Texans, I think the biggest thing that they have to do now, they have to find a way to get their quarterback to stop throwing interceptions. Yeah, 
Because I think Brock Osweiler has played good enough to win aside from those turnovers, but you can't dismiss those turnovers. They won the first two games with them throwing two interceptions in both games, I think. Mm -hmm. But then when you go against a good team like we saw against the Patriots, you can't turn the football over like that. Yeah. Especially now that your defense is down J.J. Watt. So um, that'll be interesting to see if they can rein it in from him because, you know, people were kind of – uh, really taking shots at Brock Osweiler during that uh, Patriots game. Some of it I thought, a lot of it I thought wasn't really uh, called for. You know, was, everybody was trying to give uh, John Elway high fives and shit. <laughs> at his, at his I'm like, John Elway was going to pay the man $16 million a year. What, yeah. what the fuck? He said no. Like, you know, Brock Osweiler said no. John <laughs> yeah. Elway didn't say no. And then John Elway acted like a petulant child <laughs> or a scorned ex-girlfriend after he said no. Oh, we just want people he here who want to be here. But you offered them $16 million a year, uh, John. I mean, <laughs> let, let's cut the bullshit. Okay? You didn't say no. He said no. So, uh, you know, but at the end of the day, he does have to play better. He does have to cut down on the interceptions. Yeah. And then I think they'll be able to make it through the AFC South this year. But, you know, with J.J. Watt, you can't replace him. No. They signed um, the cat that used to play there. Antonio Smith. Antonio Smith. So he's familiar with the system. You know, he's a pretty good player still. Yeah. I think he had some legal issues last year. Yeah. But but you you just can't replace a J.J. Watt. Even a J.J. Watt that's not 100% like we saw to to begin the season. Mm -hmm. You just can't replace him because you can't replace the respect the teams are going to show him regardless if he's 100% or not. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of adjustments they make on defense to try to account for that. Yeah. No, and that's kind of disturbing too when you look at Osweiler. He's got, you know, he had that good game to start the season, but that was against the Bears. Well, now we've seen the Bears for three games, and we know that that's sort of, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm not really joking when I say I wonder if the Bears could go 0 16 this season. I mean, probably not, but they're in sort of that caliber of team. And then he's gotten progressively worse than against Kansas City the week after that. They won still, but then against New England you know, it was his worst game so far. And he's got more interceptions than he does touchdowns. And that's even stranger to me because, you know, he's got a guy like DeAndre Hopkins on that team. Right. I'm a quarterback's best friend, you know? Uh, yeah. yeah. DeAndre Hopkins can make any quarterback look good, as he showed last year. Yeah. Uh, putting up all those stats with that plethora of bullshit at quarterback they had last <laughs> yeah. season. But – you know, it's been a combination of some things uh, that that I think have kind of conspired against him. Um, the rookie, Will, uh, Fuller. Will Fuller, has had a great start this season, but some of the things that we talked about as far as the knocks on him have shown up. Those yeah. drops, he's had big drops in every single game. And again, you can get away with that against teams that aren't that good. But yeah. then when you go against the Patriots, those kind of things start sh- showing up a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and, and so uh, they had uh, one of their receivers out last week as well uh, against the Patriots. I can't remember who, who that was. But Jalen Strong was supposed to come in and kind of take up the slack. And I like Jalen Strong a lot coming out. Mm-hmm. But he just hasn't really 
you know, he hasn't really done anything yet. You yeah. know, last year, I guess he was out of shape. Uh, this year, it, it seemed like he was having a good training count, but he really hasn't done anything in, in the first three games, and he got his opportunity last week. And once again, I think the most me- memorable thing he did last week was get a uh, unnecessary roughness call Yeah, at a, ba- at, at a bad time. I think they were, like, down near the goal line, and he's pushing and shoving somebody for no reason. Yeah. So... <clears throat> And they still, Dwayne Brown may play this week, but he hasn't played the first three games either. And that still matters too. Right. So, that, you know, there are some things, there are some reasons to to kind of say, okay, they haven't played great, but maybe they can play better when Dwayne Brown comes back, when whichever, wherever I see what it was, comes back. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and Brock Osweiler kind of cuts down on the the, the bad throws, but um, the the Patriots are just playing outstanding <laughs> right now too. Yeah. So it, you know, you can't take anything away from them. I, I I kept looking at that one interception he threw uh, when the linebacker caught it, and basically I think most quarterbacks would have made that throw. Yeah. Simply because you just you're not thinking that the linebacker is going to be able to. The linebacker opened up like Tampa too. And for people that don't know, in Tampa too, the middle linebacker always gets to the deep middle of the field yeah. where he's supposed to. So you, underneath routes usually are open because he's usually run all the way out the, of the screen. Like yeah. he's way down the field trying to make sure nothing up the scene uh, 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 can be completed. Well, that's exactly the way that Collins looked to be to be dropping it. It did look to be Tampa too, mm-hmm. but the, the Patriots had a little twist on it. They had the defensive uh, lineman, one of the defensive linemen dropped back to the short middle. So that, that helped uh, Jamie Collins in that there was a tight end that was supposed to attract him. That was supposed yeah. to his attention, but he knew that that defensive lineman actually was able to undercut that route. So he didn't have to worry about it anymore. And that allowed him to settle and then turn his hips the totally opposite direction and make a break on the football. If you're Brock Osweiler, you just can't be thinking that that's even going to happen. Like, it's even <laughs> possible. I'm sure after he threw that, he's like, what in the hell just happened? <laughs> but that goes to show you, again, we talked about this last week, uh, about the Patriots and, and, and the difference between coaching showing up in these kind of games. Yeah. Right? And, and that game was a perfect illustration of that. We, we uh, and a lot of times, in a lot of cases, we, you know, we make the argument that coaching doesn't matter that much. You know, whoever the better team is is usually going to win. Yeah. But when you got Bill Belichick, man, that, that's like a cheat code because he's <laughs> always coming up with with new things and new twists to to throw you off your game. I mean, who when you think about the Patriots, who the hell thinks about the Patriots playing Tampa too? No, I know right? exactly. But they're playing Tampa 2 with a twist on it. They're playing Tampa 2 with with the little twist on it that actually enabled them to get that interception. Yeah. And it made Oswald look bad. They're, oh, why are you making that throw? Well, because you don't really see that defense very often, if ever. Yeah. <laughs> now, Belichick's, it's like, it's like Gary, some sort of Gary Fisher-like year this year, you know, when he played Andre Kasparov or in the chess thing in Iceland that time. We're just ran the frickin' tables with him and, and and just it's 
It's a whole different level of stuff. It's sort of the exact opposite of whatever Gus Bradley's doing in Jacksonville so far <laughs> this season. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, which is, you know, I know we talked about this a little last week, too, so it's probably not something to dwell on too much here, but my God, I, I just like... Um, Fully prepared for Gus Bradley to get the old uh, to get left in London like Joe Philbin last year and, and Dennis Allen the year before that with the Raiders. Listen, I hope he takes his whole family over there. I hope he <laughs> brings some spending money and just has a great time, both before and after the game. Because if they play anything like they've been playing the first three games, I, I can't see a way that, that he can be the coach once that plane comes back to the United States next week. I I don't see a way because they, they, uh-uh. they've been awful. They've been awful. They've been playing in a way to make the, this head scratching. The end of that Ravens-Jacksonville uh, game last week was just ridiculous. <laughs> they trade interceptors. Then, you know, it looks like the the, the pretty much the only way they're going to lose the game is if they miss a very makeable field goal giving the Ravens good field position so they can go down and kick a field goal. And what do they do? They get the field goal blocked. But this is after their quarterback took a sack, which made it, made it a little less makeable, right? Yeah. It's, it's a cold fucking dumpster fire. Everything. It's Everything awful. is wrong. Like, you know, every, you were talking about the exact opposite. You remember that song in Frozen? Everything is awesome. No, I'm not, not Frozen. Uh, <laughs> the other show. The Lego like, movie. Awesome. Yeah, the Lego movie. Yeah, this is the exact opposite of that. Everything is awful <laughs> in Jacksonville right now. I, I mean, I, I, if I was a fan, I don't need, I'd be beside myself. I'm watching the film and I'm disgusted. And I don't even have a vested interest in this team. And then to top it all off, you still aren't start starting Miles Jack. Yeah, which I'm gonna tell you why it doesn't. Bad linebackers above him too. I'm gonna tell you why it doesn't make any sense to me. Because you go back and you talk about the knock on Miles Jack before the draft. The knock was not that he wasn't going to play this year, right? The knock was that. He probably would be able to play this year, but you weren't sure yeah. how long he would be able to play. So you're wasting time that this man doesn't really have. Yeah. You know, if, if he only had six good years to play with those knees, with that knee, why in the hell ain't he playing? Yeah. You can't tell me that Paul Puzzlesny, I can't pronounce it. I ain't, look, I can't. Pause. <laughs> I just pause. say pause. <laughs> It's better than this guy. I, I, I just refuse to believe it. And if you have him and, and Telvin Smith out there together, that's a pretty good tandem. But i tell you this much, I'm not sure it'll make that much difference because, again, everything is awful. Their defense doesn't make any sense either. Their defense should be playing way better than they're playing. But they're not. So I, I'm not even sure it'll make that much difference. But, it, but if you're the head coach and you're trying to keep your job, at the very least, that's one thing you can check off your checklist. Like, okay, I'm playing Miles Jack, so they can't really complain yeah. about that. <laughs> but no, no, you're not playing the guy that everybody wants to see in the game. And you're losing. You're losing in, like, clown fashion. <laughs> Last week, you know, they used to have those probabilities of a win at certain points in the game with the score. Yeah. I bet that was like a 
8.9 probability of win with, right before they lined up to, to kick their field goal. Yeah. And you end up losing. Like, that. that's... that's that's just terrible. Like, I, I, I don't even know another way to put it. That was just awful. So, again, I hope he goes, I hope he makes big plans while he's overseas and has a hell of a time because it's probably going to be a going away party. Yeah, no, exactly. And <laughs> it's so terrible. I mean, it's just like, it's one of those situations, like, you know, you look at the Browns and the Browns are 0-3-2 and they've played some bad games, but like, man, at least they're trying, you know, and and, and like, (laughs) give them a gold star for out there trying, like the Terrell Pryor stuff last week, using Terrell Pryor and get creative with the offense. It's like, hell yes. I mean, that's all they've got left on that freaking team. So thank God they're at least trying to do something with it. Now, maybe not as much as they should be. As the end at the end of the game, but you know, in overtime against the Dolphins there, but at least they're trying. But man, the Jaguars are in that situation where it's like it's not just like you're losing a close game on a bad bounce and you're 0 3 because you know fate's fucking with you. You're 0 3 because it's it's like not only did the tires fall, everything's fucking falling apart. It's it's incredible, except for Jalen Ramsey, who seems to think he is and he's he's playing well, don't get me wrong. But uh, boy, he's trash talking like a like a like a fifteen year vet, huh? Uh, you know, <laughs> listen, I, I like guys who have some swagger about them. I, I like guys who carry themselves like they believe they they're the best in the world, and I don't mind guys talking shit. But you know, Jalen Ramsey is really starting to rub me the wrong way. Yeah, because you're losing. Yeah. You're losing, you're 0-3, you haven't won a game as a professional. And every time you trash talk, what I really hear and what you're really saying is, okay, we're losing, but it's not my fault. Yeah. And it don't matter. There ain't going to be any asterisks beside any of these losses uh-uh. to say, well, yeah, we lost, but Jalen Ramsey played well. Evidently, you didn't play good enough because you're still losing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so at some point, and, the, and, and you got to look at the context of it too. Like the more you say it's not your fault, well, whose fault is it? Because you're putting yeah. it on somebody. When you start making yourself the individual like that, like when you say, well, you know, against the Packers, for instance, he, he was talking all this shit about Aaron Rodgers for the game. And they talked about the game. And he basically was like, well, it wasn't my man. My man wasn't doing nothing. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, so you throw the whole rest of the secondary under the bus. <laughs> and I just got to wonder, like, at some point, doesn't, doesn't that rub the rest of his teammates the wrong way? Because y'all all losing. Oh, yeah. Like, you're all losers right now. <laughs> you talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars football team for 2016, and really before that, but let's just talk about 2016. There's a bunch of losers. They haven't won a game. And to be honest with you right now, I put money on the Browns winning the game before I put money on the Jaguars yeah. winning the game. The way they look, hell, the uh, the Browns jumped on uh, uh, the Ravens a couple weeks ago and looked like they were going to beat the hell out of them. Yeah. Barely, barely lost to the Dolphins because they didn't have a, a, a kicker worth kicker. a damn. <laughs> right? They, <laughs> they went cheap on the kicker. But but you're the, you're the, you're the, the Jacksonville Jaguars. You actually were supposed to uh, – Contend for the division this year. Yeah, I mean, hell, they got, a, they got talent. 
I was out there talking shit before the preseason started, talking about maybe y'all have the best uh, defense in, in, in your conference, in, 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 the, in the AFC South. Yeah. And, and you, you out there looking like shit. But, but, but Jalen Rams, not nah, it ain't me. It ain't me, okay? All right, let's get that straight right now. We losing, but it ain't my fault. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I like the kid. I think he's a very good player. He's playing well so so far, and he's very physical, and he's doing all these great things. But, man, his mouth is really a turnoff. Like, he, he, he just, look, I, I don't mind the trash talking, but stop making it seem like, it's, it's everybody's fault but yours. Yeah, exactly. Right? You, don't, you don't have to blame yourself. You don't have to take all of the blame either. And obviously he's playing well, so he probably should be blamed a lot. But don't sit up there and say, well, it ain't my fault. Yeah. Because it, 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 <laughs> football is the ultimate team game regardless. Yeah. You're going to win together, you're going to lose together. And again, look, I, I came here to the books in 1996. And we were awful. Yeah. And our own fans ha- was joking on us. <laughs> right? And, and, and it wasn't no, but I played well. Yeah. I'm telling you right now, the fans of Jacksonville, they're not saying, man, the Jaguars suck. But Jalen Ramsey playing good. Yeah. They're they going to end it after the word sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I promise. So uh, unless they start winning, I mean, you, you just can't have that kind of attitude. You, you cannot. You, you gotta you gotta understand it's a team game. Talk your shit. I don't mind, but make it in the context of team. Yeah. Like okay, we need we we need to play better. We need to better do a better job. Not no, I did my job. I don't want to talk to anybody else. <laughs> talk to the rest of them busters in there because I'm doing what I'm supposed to. I mean, it just that that, that ain't right. <laughs> Yeah, and then to me, you know, and that's another thing, too. It comes back to the whole coaching situation there, too. It's like, I I mean, you know, after the first time he said that, uh, you can understand it, and then you go over and, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, as a coach, you could take corrective action. But uh, this just seems like this seems like a team that just doesn't know what the – it's like a ship without a captain, man. It's a whole bunch of individuals. Yeah. And, and they don't have anybody to pull them together as a head coach. They don't have anybody to galvanize them into a team yeah. with one goal. Yeah. And you can see it on the field. I mean, Blake Borders is fucking awful right now. Uh, yeah. If Blake Borders played like this his rookie year, people would have been complaining about the Jaguars putting him out there too early. Yeah. But it's not his fucking rookie year. No. And so, he did okay I mean, last season. Listen, he's... Just fucking awful. I, I, like I said, he took that sack. You can't take that sack. You cannot fucking take that sack. Why are you taking that sack? He, he takes the sack and, and moves that them back for the field goal, and then the field goal ends up getting blocked. Like, and he he did that shit all throughout the game. He's been doing it this whole year. He just he of all the guys who are underperforming in Jacksonville, he's at the top of the list. Right, you, you paid your, your wide receivers. You got these top-notch wide receivers. You already paid for a big-time uh, tight end last year in Thomas, and, and and your offense is fucking awful, awful because the quarterback has regressed so far. Yeah. So I mean, I just, I, you know, they had a chance. <laughs> they had a chance at the end of the game. Yeah. Uh, because they only needed a field goal. Yeah. I know most people didn't watch this game or watch the end of it. 
But it was it was look, if you couldn't do nothing else, just watch the full quarter. It, it was it was ridiculous. Yeah. Just interception after interception. But they had the ball at the end of the game. Yeah. And he still had time to get a couple, get you a couple uh first downs and then you know, try to kick you a long field goal. Yeah. He threw an interception. <laughs> he threw an interception on like third down, I think. <laughs> and, uh, and it's obviously four down territory. You got to go for it. Yeah. But get the, uh, you know, get get you a nice little completion. Maybe you don't. It was like third and long because I think they had a penalty. But get you half of that. Get you a nice little dump off to the back for 10 yards or whatever. Let them run out of bounds. Yeah. He throws the interception. <laughs> <laughs> it's some Jacksonville shit, man. There's just no question about it. Um, Steven, speaking of talent, not talent being underutilized by any stretch of the imagination. Speaking of talent, we got a special treat for the listeners out there at Radio Land. I'm going to bring him on right now. His name. You know him. You love him. You can't live without him. Tyler Tynes. That was cute as hell, man. Hey, I just want to <laughs> make you feel at home, Tyler. I mean, shit, it wouldn't matter, but damn, not damn. Now I feel motivated to actually do some shit today. Well, you know, here's the deal. I, I, Steve and I talked about this a little earlier when we, you know, we have our little pre-podcast powwow, and we're going to bring you on. We're going to talk about some serious issues, what you saw in Charlotte last week, and then, and then we're going to get into why the Eagles are ultimately going to be a big disappointment this year. I mean, <laughs> like, oh, my God, you know. So I'm going to lift you up, and then I'm going to take you down. I guess. <laughs> I'm just kidding you. I'm just kidding you. We're not going to clown on Carson Wentz too much because we can't. Because you can't. Because you can't. You can't. It's impossible. You can't. Not yet. Not Shit, yet. Can't ever. So, Tyler, you were in Charlotte last week. Tell us Damn a little sure bit about. Was. Tell us a little bit about what you saw down there. Well, I saw they sell two dollar PBRs and a bunch <laughs> of cars. So uh, that's that's a, that is surely the first thing. I should mention, shout out to Midwood Smokehouse and to Mert Soul Food Cafe. I mean, Charlotte got some good ass food, y'all. Some oh, yeah. good ass yeah. food. But I mean, we went down there very last minute uh, to, to cover these Keith Lamont Scott protests because Keith, uh, you know, was killed by police. And, you know, I, I wanted to be very specific here. He, he didn't die. You know, he, he didn't perish. No, he got killed. He got shot in his chest by police officers. So... Charlotte kind of represents this very unique crossroads that we usually don't see in the modern state of protesting in the United States, mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter or otherwise, where you're in a like demographic or municipality where the actual sports team in town or some sports people in town really matter in the context of the conversation that we're having about either police brutality, uh, like systemic racism, or I don't know, just like regular shit that goes on to black people. So within Charlotte, you've got two dudes who like equally suck when it comes to this conversation. And that's Cam Newton. Shout out to Cam. And also shout out to Frank Luntz. And also (laughs) it's Michael Jordan. So Mike has never really tried to give a fuck about black people, like in a macro sense when it comes to like racism and other things until like, I don't know, in the, in like the span of time yesterday, you know, like a few weeks ago, he gave a few little cute donations, but that didn't really matter because, you know, he could have gave to, I don't know, like Black Lives Matter Charlotte or Black Lives Matter proper or, I don't know, not the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Mm-hmm. Whatever, Mike. But that's cool. The problem we had with Mike, though, was that he put out a statement saying that, you know, yeah, he was tired that black people were dying in the streets, but he was also like mad upset that like police officers were getting killed, which are two different things. Like 
people die when they get sick or like they eat bad tuna tuna salad or something like that. Like that's how people die. Yeah. They don't like just die because cops shoot them or tase them to death or beat their asses. We get killed. It's like not a voluntary thing. We get killed. So having him on one side, who is the only black man to own a, a major pro sports team in North America, and also on the other side to have Cam Newton, who I don't know, just in January was telling us how black he was. Um, and then did this whole reverse. All right, cool. So black folk in Charlotte very much do not fuck with either of those two guys. Yeah. So yeah. much so that protesters made it very clear that they would ransack Michael Jordan's like team store in downtown Charlotte. Oh yeah. They ran out of there with some boxes of Jordans and all types of shit. It was great. It's real great. <laughs> well, I, I guess then I want to ask about the back specifically Cam Newton and you know, and then the backdrop of that game last week too. But yeah. why, why, you know, give us for listeners that may not have followed this whole thing. Why is it that, you know, Cam comes out in January. He says, it's different for black. I'm a black quarterback. It's different for black quarterbacks. I mean, it's, you know, we're, we're judged differently and you can't, which I don't think you would necessarily, he, he got some heat for the comments and then he got some heat because he didn't talk to the press, you know, that week of the Super Bowl. And then after the Super Bowl, obviously, he had his press conference. And then now you have this whole different turn with Cam. He's got Frank Luntz, who's been employed by the NFL for several years now as a consultant over their messaging and issues and things like that, which ought to tell you a little bit about the NFL and the owners there. But uh, Or just, you know, remind you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But it's, you know, and then they bring him in and now you've got Cam saying, you know, essentially, you know, his contribution to the conversation about race is essentially, you know, I don't want to talk about it kind of thing. It was so dope. So dope. Yeah. And, and I guess that's, I mean, it's confusing to me. Why, why, what's, what, why the turn from Cam like this? What's going on there? So there's a few things here outside of it being absolutely hilarious that this is happening. Um, there's a lot of history that goes behind the decision of this, right? So first and foremost, we've never criticized like anybody the way we criticized Cam Newton last year. Mm-hmm. The dude lost one time and it was like he lost every, it was like he was Jeff Fisher. It was like he lost every <laughs> damn game. You know, it, 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 it didn't make, it, we criticized Cam Newton like he was Kirk Cousins. Yeah. And this dude had one of the best overall seasons a quarterback could ever have. I could ever have like there was no conversation who the MVP was yeah but then North Carolina had to remind you that they're still kind of the south so yeah he got them racist letters from like these white moms who probably don't season their food who like also like were really mad he was dancing in the end zone but then wanted to point to like like fucking Carson Palmer and Aaron Rodgers as like examples of people he should like model himself after which was super fucking funny on the other side of that Historically, there's been a long line of racial stigma attached to being a black quarterback. They're not smart enough to be quarterbacks. They're not intelligent enough to be quarterbacks. They don't have enough authoritative roles. And as recently as the 60s and 70s, they weren't even allowed to sleep with their teammates in training camps. So the stigma behind being a black man playing quarterback, the most coveted position on the field, and what could arguably be the the safest position on the field now, and the most lucrative on the field, you're automatically going to get the disdain of these old-ass dudes covering your team. So combine those two things, the history of him going into the position and then how fucked up last year was for him on just like a rhetoric level, and then add in that Jerry Richardson is basically like your football dad. 
And mm-hmm. that's really not making for a good anything. So Frank Luntz comes in and is kind of like, all right, cool, Cam. We ain't going to talk about black people like that no more. And if you forgot, everybody hated you last year. And Cam's basically like, yeah, man, I lost the Super Bowl. Cool. And that's that's basically it. You know, like there's there's long been times where black quarterbacks and prominent black athletes have gone from a position of power where they're winning everything and they're in the spotlight and all the endorsements are coming in and nobody gives a fuck that they're speaking. And that's dope. And then they lose. And after they lose, mm-hmm. somebody calls them and says, hey, yo, fam, remember how you lost? Yeah, shut the fuck up. That's kind of how this goes. And I'm sure Jerry Richardson called a few folks and was like, yeah, y'all saw Cam lose? Yeah, you ain't going to be talking that shit no more. Ah, we're going to figure this out. So that's kind of the thing. And you can tell there's a difference because of the – apprehension cam has when it comes to talking about race cam out here talking about he want to bring unity to a city that is like in on fire because a black man got killed by police again Mm -hmm. by playing football like that's an actual solution to a situation that brings so many different ramifications of historical animus against black people because that makes sense cam either way though there's a lot of history and context to why black people who have thought they could have a space to talk about our own issues kind of get knocked down after the fact. So that's really where Cam is at this point. But it's still fuck Cam because he shouldn't have done that. So whatever. <laughs> well, how much, you know, you mentioned the losing in the Super Bowl thing with Cam last year. I wonder, too, you know, obviously his MVP last year was the season he really became. I mean, he's always been a star ever since he came in the NFL. <coughs> but last year was, you know, sort of a Cam, the Cam moment. I mean, last year he becomes that transcendent level NFL superstar that, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning. And it's interesting because the juxtaposition to me is. NFL loses Peyton Manning the year Cam Newton sort of becomes the superstar and becomes starts to become a, one of those guys that's at that level of being the face of the NFL and I think one thing you know you look at the NFL and you see guys at that level it always waters them down a little bit I mean it takes their you know whatever their message is it kind of takes that away it takes away their you know they take away some of the race aspect of a, of a, of a player especially an African-American oh. player and, and that, to me, was so interesting why they brought Frank Luntz in, because the NFL brought Frank Luntz in, you know, most famously the year after, um, oh, shit. It was the same year. He was, I saw him at the owner's meeting. This, it was the year before the Ray Rice stuff broke, and, and all that kind of changed the conversation. But that was the year that the NFL was trying to put on its best face of inclusiveness, because it was the Michael Sam. You know, they drafted the Rams, that drafted Michael Sam. And you'd had, you'd, you know, you'd seen some players and coaches making comments behind the scenes about that. Um, so I, I guess that to me, that's what the first thing I thought of when I saw Luntz coming into Carolina. I mean, yeah, though, but like Frank Luntz is the funniest dude ever. Like, that's what makes this so great. They didn't call Carl Rove. Right. They didn't call, like, some, like, super dragon wizard of the KKK. They didn't make, like, a super obvious thing. They just called Frank Luntz, which, yeah. if, you pay to, if you pay attention to, I don't know, anything, it was, like, so equal to call it in a KKK dude or Carl Rove. Like, this, this was pretty fucking dope. Like, if you don't know who Frank Luntz is, he's, like, a fake pollster and a fake public opinion guru, and he's, like, best known for political messaging for Republican causes, a.k.a. the NFL. 
He also is super known for working with Newt Gingrich on Contract with yeah. America and also super known for promotion of the death tax and not, and not the estate tax, <laughs> climate change, and global warming. Like, this is a dude who was a moderator on Fox News, for God's sakes. Like, he is, he's like the most conservative bro-bro you could possibly ever imagine that actually has a job somewhere. So it makes sense that Jerry Richard, like that, that Jerry, a guy who – you know, reportedly went on radio in Charlotte after Cam got drafted and was like, yeah, I dare him to cut his hair or get tatted. I'm going to cut him. Yeah. And Charlotte's like, yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, like these are the two guys telling the, the, the blackest quarterback we've had in modern history not to be himself and talk about things that are akin to his skin tone. Yeah. That's why this is so dope because Cam listened. Cam wasn't like, nah, I'm the MVP. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. Cam was like, yes, sir. That's that's the funniest part about all this is that Cam Newton like had the most power of many of maybe any star in shit Le- since LeBron at, yeah. at this point in modern sports and he was just like you know what yo I do need to shut up and that was something that he cognitively made okay with himself that's that's where all these jokes are getting off not that Jerry Richardson was himself mm-hmm. not that Frank Luntz got called in and was himself not that white people wanted to like fully bastardized cam newton over the entirety of his career for just being himself and emoting and being an athlete but that cam somewhere was like y'all are all right that's yeah. the fun part about all of this so what was the react i mean what you talked to you talked to a lot of people when you're on the scene like that and and when you were in charlotte last week it's no different what you know what what's the reaction what did what what did you hear people talking about when it came to cam and the panthers like that oh they do not fuck with cam (laughs) 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 they they do not fuck with cam like there were dudes wearing cam newton jerseys protesting in the streets of charlotte blocking off interstates yelling fuck cam newton like one dude told me he was just like yeah i just happen to be wearing this today because I just wanted to look bummy. <laughs> like, 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 that's what Cam Newton is now to, to like, black folk in Charlotte. They, like, they fully are like, we don't fuck with him. But some of them are like, well, we kind of fuck with him because he's our quarterback, so we can't get rid of him all the way. But, like, when it comes to anything else, yeah, it's still fuck Cam Newton. Cam has such a bad rep now, they're, they're putting him in the same categorization of Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's how bad it is like nobody's fucking shit even white people ain't fucking with cam <laughs> yeah like there's white protesters down there like yeah fuck cam he need to end his silence and popping off all these like messaging about racial animus and all types of shit I, man i was laughing for like 90 hours down there about how much people don't fuck with cam and just like that being almost universal yeah like it's like something like oh donovan mcnabb maybe through the 2004 like eagle super bowl game like ah we don't know if we like donovan anymore <laughs> it was like no, no 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 we put a memo out to all of mecklenburg county and we universally don't fuck with number one yeah and that out it interesting well i don't know is it I know this is a it's a complicated issue. I don't I don't you know it's it's is it? You no, know, I mean it is. It it is from a sense of, you know you know, from a fan perspective, you want I don't know, you see you see a player like that and you want him to speak out on these issues, on on the issues that matter. And so it's like I mean, maybe some fans don't. I mean I, I think I do. Well, I mean, I know I do. I don't think I do. But, uh, you know, you, you you want fans to speak out. You want your players to speak out. I mean, Colin Kaepernick is speaking out on this issue. 
Now he's not obviously a player with the superstar status at camp. I, I don't know. It seems it, it seems troublesome that the NFL always sort of wants to water down at superstars like that. But it feels conflicting because like that the onus for athletes to speak out about issues like racial justice or social injustice or police brutality is something that is always the onus put on black athletes. Mm-hmm. We're not asking white athletes to speak out on these issues because we have this automatic assumption that white athletes don't care. And I mean, yeah, they don't. But like this is something only put on the black athletes. So yeah. it's, it's a trend of duality, whereas you want them to speak about issues that we feel as though should be akin to their own upbringing because most of the players in the NFL and NBA are coming from like single-parent home backgrounds and also some of them coming from very poor backgrounds and disadvantaged backgrounds. Yeah. So you want them to speak about their own experiences to get a glint of what the American experience actually is for people who live behind this kind of glass door. The other problem with that is we ask too much of our athletes. Yes, we do want them to be authentic. Yes, we do want them to be fully engrossing and say everything that they want to say whenever they want to say it. But that also comes with a piece of it being like you don't need every athlete to say everything. Yeah. I'm cool with athletes who don't want to say shit about shit. Yeah. That's right. Like if you don't want to talk about this shit, fine, cool, no problem. But the moment you step out there, The moment you make it a part of your brand that you are going to speak on these issues is the moment we are going to call you to question and hold your feet to the fire and have an expectation of you to consistently say these things. Is that wrong? Maybe. But then if it's not, you know by the time you get to the NFL or the NBA because you've gone through this but so many times with reporters that you don't have to say shit. Yeah. But once you do, I mean, hey, don't fuck up. Yeah. How come? I mean, when when is is a white player going to speak out? <laughs> no. Why? 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 Why would they? Yeah. Well, well, we've had one. We've had uh, the long guy, uh, Chris Long. Chris Long. But he didn't with- really say shit. He just kind of sat on the fence and was like, "Well, patriotism, but First Amendment. All right, y'all, see you." Like that was kind of it. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's better. <laughs> I'm right. trying to give them props because it's better than nothing. I mean, the the rest of it has been a deafening silence, and, and that's that's really the part that, to me, we, we I've discussed this before. To me, what 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 is so bothersome about that is you would think maybe not on all of these situations. But there have been so many of these situations now in the, just the last two years where the whole entire confrontation has been captured on video, whether it's a, a body cam or whether yeah. it's cell phone video. And not one of these videos has touched one of these players enough for them to speak out forcefully and say, this isn't OK. Enough is enough. We have to do something. Like, that's the part that really is so bothersome because you just got to wonder, like, where's your humanity? Where's your humanity that you can look at this and just, okay, I saw that, and then click on something else and, you know, maybe click on a meme or a retweet that. And I was was saying before, like, how sometimes, you know, you notice sometimes who retweets what in your timeline, and you know who's following, right? And so you might send out a video like this and only two or three people retweet it. And, and maybe they don't even uh, 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 comment on it. 
but then you sent out uh, uh, an article three minutes three minutes later, and all these other people are, are retweeting that. Mm. And so it, it's just it's the humanity of it. It's like, yeah, we want a white player or a prominent white player to speak out about this, not just because they're white, right? But because where's your humanity? Why aren't you outraged without us asking you to speak about this? Like, you know, a lot of these guys are speaking out, like Michael Bennett, he brought it up before the season. Yeah. This kind of stuff up before the season, before he was even asked, before there was even another situation, because we are outraged because those could be our you know, sons, daughters, brothers, or it could be us. But why would it take for, for that to be the case for you to speak out, right? For you to say, this is not okay. And I'll tell you, I was very um, happy last week, uh, some of the sports writers, and I, and, I, and I joined in, of all races, um, tweeted out, I stand with those who kneel when the games came on at 1 o'clock. Because I've seen that outrage for them, too. I've seen white writers, writers of all different nationalities, colors, religions, see these videos and get outraged. Yeah. So you're trying to tell me, like, out of all the white quarterbacks, out of all the white offensive linemen, out of all the white running backs, okay, there's not many of those. Okay, out of all the white uh, (laughs) linebackers, None of y'all saw this and were outraged. Like I point out Chris Long because at least he said something. I would say at least but, that like they're probably not outraged because if if we look at some of the makeup of who these white players are, like hell, let's look at some of the makeup of who the white folk in our country are. Right, a lot of folks want to talk about that due process shit on some. Well, yeah, I saw the video and yeah, it sucks, but like we trust the police, so. Yeah, the police ain't never pulled me over. So, yeah, police ain't never ran up in my house. Police ain't never killed nobody who looked like me that I know of. You know what I mean? So this 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 jingoism, this this faux patriotism, this xenophobia of of not being able to empathize with folks that don't look like you is something that has always been a sin of white America. So I'm not fully under the expectation of white folk, especially in sports, to care because white folks who aren't in sports don't really give that much of a shit. And like, it's cute and it's cool for you to tweet something if you're a white sports writer about you being outraged. I really don't give a fuck about that. I give a fuck about if you out here about to go write some shit. If you write for the New York Times and you want to be outraged on Twitter, how about you put an article in the New York Times about that outrage? How about you write a blog post? How about you interview some players and get to the bottom of what's going on on your beat? Because I could really give less of a fuck about a tweet. Because all we've been doing is tweeting. You know what I'm saying? So, like, when you see 500 protesters walk down a street and they break some shit and they block off an interstate and they want to have a lot of conversation about the currency of the United States when it comes to the state-sanctioned violence, the extrajudicious killings of black people, especially when they're unarmed, and the disparities that come with that. How do you sit there and then go to the stadium the next day and write a game story? That's my problem. So when we get that to change, because I could really, I, I don't care about these white players saying shit. Because Cam Newton had the opportunity to say shit as the most popular athlete in the NFL, and that did not matter. So I care more so 
when the rhetoric and the conversation is being tilted towards those who have the majority in power in journalism. Because it ain't going to be just these players. Because once this little thing in the NFL is over, it's over. It ain't coming back. So how about you capitalize on the moment? It shouldn't take black and brown reporters to go into these spaces and tell our own stories through the lens of black athletes. How about y'all do the same thing we do and study some shit that goes on in this country? Because that could probably help a lot more than you know. One article from a white author about that shit probably goes a lot farther. It doesn't have to be on SB Nation. It doesn't have to be on Deadspin. It doesn't have to be on Bleach Report. It doesn't have to just be digital. How about it be in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and how about it not come from a columnist who you automatically assume is going to have an opinion? How about you take somebody who's been writing on your beat for 20 fucking years and you let them actually write about what these players feel? Because if there was ever a time to give a damn about black people in this country, it's right now. You know, I, I guess I see that too, and and part of it is, you know, I would like to see somebody with that level of prominence to come out and explain why this matters and why it's important to you as a white dude in, you know, the suburbs who is in a homogenous community and doesn't have to see, doesn't deal with this or see this on a daily basis – but to understand why it matters to you out there in the suburbs or whoever you are, you know what I mean? Why this matters and why this is not something that we can tolerate as a country and why this is something that, you know, you're right to stand up for this because you can't watch this video of, you know, a, a, a father in getting shot by a Tulsa police officer with his hands in the air and not, you know, and then listen to six days of excuse making about why this cop did that instead of understanding it's like, well, we can't, you know, go and say you expect, uh, you know, we can't go and complain about black on black crime and then shrug this off as, oh, well, you know, whatever. It, it just happens. The cop thought it was a taser she was grabbing instead of a pistol. It matters. It matters to you. I mean, you can't when you live in a society with this level of injustice it may not affect you on a daily basis right now, but eventually it's going to. And you can't, you can't stand back and tolerate that. It's just like in the 60s when you have, you know, those white kids at Harvard, it's easy for them to go vote. That doesn't matter. They don't have to do shit to go vote. They just got to wake up, get some pants on, and go down to the polling place. It was a lot harder for somebody down south to go vote because of Jim Crow and all that stuff. But you had people that went down there and tried to do something about that and educate people that just because you can vote doesn't mean it's right to stand by and accept a disenfranchisement of another group of voters because ultimately it's bad for you, it's bad for democracy, it's bad for your country, it's bad for your economy, it's bad for everything. I mean, it's a it's a tough issue. It's it's a really tough issue, and I and I think a lot of athletes come into it of like, hey, I I just want to play the game. I I just got to do my job. And like that sounds good, and like I believe that, and I I fully believe that from a lot of players. But NFL athletes are the smartest athletes of the major pro four sports in North America. They have the most schooling yeah. by average. They learn the most shit in college. So. When these players get to the NFL, whether they stay here for an average of two and a half or three years, or they play for 10, they know what's going on. And the other side of that is when you're black in America, you learn real quick what you look like. Yeah. So it's kind of hard for me to just stomach the fact that 
there are athletes in the NFL and the NBA and, and so on and so forth who just readily don't give a damn. Yeah. The other side of that is for white audiences and even people who are spending money to go to these games or consume this content, you know, like we can't like, like they're asking for solutions. They're pointing to black on black crime. They're basically putting up a veil of the real issues. And the thing is that to make it extremely clear, black on black crime is something that is not a deterrent to police brutality. Yeah. Black on black crime is something that has happened from systemic issues that the United States and America also have put black people into positions that they cannot thrive. They cannot have mobility. They have segregated schools. They can't get the even one eighth of the same means that white people have. And it shows in the wealth gap we have. If black average only own $12,000 worth of anything and white people on average own $140,000 worth of anything, that difference is massive. So the thing is, no one wakes up and says, hey, yo, fam, I'm about to go shoot a black dude and I'm yeah. black. Like, that's not what happens. You commit crime based on circumstance. And that circumstance is based on circumstances that have been made by the United States of America. Just like there might be 91 percent of black on black crime, that disparity is only 5 percent less to white on white crime. Mm-hmm. But you don't know that because it's a buzzword. Just like this year, people will say their buzzword is Chicago because Chicago has a shit ton of murders. Just like Baltimore was the buzzword a few years ago, just like Philly was years before that. Yeah. So this is always going to be a conversation convoluted with bullshit yeah. from the majority. But we need the majority or at least an inkling of the majority to say something because we're in the majority. Y'all got power. Yeah. And that was something very clear in Charlotte because during that Charlotte protest outside of Bank of America Stadium – Black folks were in a circle protesting and marching and saying their ills and saying what was wrong and and shouting at police officers about those same issues. And white people who came down to protest from Greensboro, from Ferguson, from wherever, they made a circle around the black protesters, which was basically a metaphor for if y'all about to grip up some black people, you're going to have to also grip up some white people. And we know y'all don't really want to do that. Yeah. That's what we need more of. I ain't asking for white people to come out here and give donations to your local Black Lives Matter chapter. I'm just asking you to give a fuck. Yeah. A very fair thing to ask of people. Um, anything, other impressions you took away from your visit to Charlotte? Got some good-ass whiskey. <laughs> good ass. They got some good ass whiskey. I mean, listen, they got some good ass whiskey. Well, let me ask you this: where where does this movement go in the NFL? Because, like, you know, here's the thing: I wonder, and, and you saw this before the Monday Night Football game last week with the Falcons and Saints. They had the circle of unity or whatever <laughs> in the middle of the field, and and like it was honestly hard to like. We were editorially like, well, is this sort of a nod to the pro- anthem protests, or is this you know a thing because you know this is sort of the tenth anniversary of their game back after Katrina. I mean, was this sort of like a community building thing? Like, so I, I think the thing I wondered when I saw that was like, eventually is this, are people going to, and the NFL and corporations are, and brands are really great at doing a taken of movement or a sentiment like that. That's very powerful and co-opting it and turning it into some sort of hashtag advertising campaign real quick. Is this, I mean, like, it seems like it's just a matter of time until this protest gets watered down. And, and then what happens? Where does it go from there? 
you kind of got two sides of this. So when you have uh, something as magnanimous as this, where Colin Kaepernick is like, "Ayo, fuck y'all, I'm here," and there's a protest like that that was super dope. Well, then you have something called hashtag activism, mm-hmm. where people just feel compelled to be a part of a movement without really being like, like without really like caring about said movement. They just kind of yeah. want to do it just to do it. It's like taking one of them cool ass pictures somewhere like because you saw your friend do it you're like damn johnny was at the eiffel tower all right yo we gotta go to the eiffel tower too do some dope shit you know what i mean that's kind of what becomes of this so we don't know the true feelings of all of these players for why they protest you know some people are like oh my frat brother did this so i'm gonna do this right the other side of that becomes what happens in those coaches and owners meetings and and in the offseason will the nfl make a rule to stop people from protesting, to penalize them for protesting, yeah, which yeah. I'm sure the NFLPA will be all pissed about. So my assumption becomes that the NFL going to get rid of this shit as soon as the season's over. They're going to make it real clear they don't fuck with this shit in like the most indiscriminate way, like the, the most quiet, shady, Frank Luntz way possible. Yeah. But, I mean, we should really, really, really pay attention to this season because – in the way that this season is happening with these protests, with this outspokenness, I so, so, so doubt that we are ever going to see something like this again. Do you feel like, I mean, has the conversation elevated and expanded? To what? No. Like, I mean, like, it's just some more white people who just realize some shit. Like, that's about it, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how much this conversation has expanded. I know there's some more people that don't like Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. But, I mean, the thing about it is that you can have Kaepernick do this and you're going to reach a good amount of people. But the side effect of that is all those people who are blind as shit and don't want to see this and are also old white people. All they going to do is make Twitter accounts with eggs on them and be like, nah, fuck y'all. Don't happen. I see them motherfuckers every day. (laughs) Oh, I see them every time we talk about Washington in the NFL. (laughs) That's the thing is like you got to do something so comprehensive. Like so to the point that there are no holes in it. I'm not look I'm not talking about Seattle doing that little arm tugging shit. Like that was stupid. I'm talking about you need to be on such a level that so many different players from so many different backgrounds in one league say, All right, y'all, fuck this. Mm-hmm. This sucks. That's the only time. The only, only time when you have something super bulletproof that white fans are gonna be like, Yeah, y'all are right. That's it. But we're not going to get that. This isn't the NBA. And even within the NBA, like, there's still players who aren't going to get down with this protest shit. Mm -hmm. So that becomes the struggle. But I kind of go back to my earlier point to say that all I'm asking is for y'all to give a fuck. Mm -hmm. So once we get there, once we can allow these black athletes to kneel or throw a fist up or exude blackness or black power and nobody have an issue with that. That's when we can start talking about some cohesive ass shit. Mm-hmm. But like until then, we still got some shit to do. Yeah. But with the country as divided as it is, I mean, you're always going to have a significant portion of people that will be against, you know what I mean? That are always going to be, Colin Kaepernick should go to Russia or whatever. That is such a – people love doing that, you know, and it's like the funniest shit you can get with the black experience is you can actually talk about why race in America is a problem because yeah. I don't know you, you experience it and shit. And folks are just like, well, if you don't like it, you can get yourself up <laughs> in this country. 
<laughs> you can get yourself right on out of this country. <laughs> Move to Russia. <laughs> You're like, nah, fam, I don't want to leave the country because I love the country. I just want this shit to be better. Yeah. Is that bad? Like, I just want the country to be better. Yeah. And then, like, the response you get back is, mm-hmm, well, get your ass about the country. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, I'll see you on, I'll see you on Monday. Like, okay. <laughs> Well, that's a, it's a it's a it's a good discussion to have. I'm glad we are able. I'm glad we have a place here where we can talk about it. Oh yeah, man. Um, but now because we don't have just a ton of time left, and I promised, I promised you, Tyler, that we were going <laughs> to do this. Let's talk about the Eagles. Oh man, listen, we going to the bowl. <laughs> I don't know when. Damn it, we going to do it. And fuck all you haters who got some shit to say. Because your team ain't 3-0. And, and so if they I is, guess I'm surprised. Play. Like, I mean, I'm not surprised to some extent because they started the season against the Browns and the Bears. And that's sort of like, you know, that's... Look at y'all giving excuses to our They're playing excellence. World League teams to, to start the season here. But, like, that, that was a legit win over the Steelers last week. It was all legit wins, baby. This is the NFL. <laughs> Any given Sunday. All that shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Carson Wentz looked great. He looked great. And I mean, I can kind of hear people who, like, don't fuck with any type of happiness in the world who are just like, <laughs> oh, Guilty. y'all played the Browns, then you played the Bears. The Bears got a good-ass defense. And the Browns' front seven is actually serviceable. So for a rookie quarterback, you ain't expecting him to not throw an interception. I don't know, and or even win. So then you play the Steelers and you make the Steelers like a JV football team in like, I don't know, like Broward County or some shit. Yeah. I, I'm just in counties, but <laughs> like the Steelers sucked. And like you asked a rookie cornerback to cover Antonio Brown and there were barely any touchdowns. And then Carson Wentz knows how to step up in the pocket now. So that was sexy, too. So, you know, I mean, fuck you haters. <laughs> we out here. Well, I guess that was I was going to say, like, Carson Wentz has been good, and I don't want to take anything away from his play because it's been impressive, and and certainly for rookie. But what's really been, like, that Eagles defense, man. It's been great. Shout out to Jim Schwartz. Mm Mm-hmm. We always been great, but he just took us to another level. What's the, I mean, I, I know Jim Schwartz is getting credit and obviously what, so what is, you, you know, Steven, when you look at the Eagles, you see him play, what's been the difference with that defense? Because it's not significantly different on the personnel side. To be honest with you, they're, they're just playing better um, across the board. Seriously, they, 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 there's not any kind of magic formula. Now, the, the one major difference, of course, is that they changed into a true 4-3 defense. And mm-hmm. that's actually the talent that they have is more suited to a 4-3 defense. But you look, and not necessarily any one guy is having like this huge year and they're making all the difference in the world, or, or two guys. Yeah. Is that every guy is playing better. Um, we knew that secondary, you know, has left a lot to be desired under Chip Kelly. Well, that's not the case anymore. So um, I, I just think that the Jim Schwartz has brought um, kind of uh, discipline, which is kind of weird to say about him <laughs> in particular. Uh-huh. But he's brought some discipline to this defense in that they're doing what they're supposed to do. Guys aren't freelancing. You don't see a whole bunch of coverage busts or anything like that. They're playing fundamentally sound football across the board. Yeah. And when you have more talent, when you have more talent, 
and you play discipline, you have these kinds of performances. I think they're number one in the league in scoring defense right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, now they haven't, you know, necessarily played great offense itself for the Steelers. Um, but hey, you, can't take, you can't you can't put an asterisk beside it. They're, sure they're number one. They're number one in the defense and and, and uh, scoring defense because they're being so disciplined. You you just don't have anybody making the big mistakes. Now, when they if they face a team that has an offense that is just more talented than them. I don't know one offhand that is, mm-hmm. then maybe they'll have problems. But until then, if they keep playing discipline the way they're playing and sound football, then they're always going to be in every game this year. Yeah. Let's talk about how we have the best safety tandem in America right now. Let's talk about <laughs> Malcolm Jenkins and Rodney McLeod. Let's talk about after, after, having, after giving up 36 touchdown passes last year, in three games we haven't given up one. Okay, that is probably the best that I can give you about how damn good this secondary is. Leotis McKelvin out here balling. Jalen Mills out here balling. Malcolm Jenkins out here just being himself, which was already balling. And Rodney McLeod, a dude who still has Emmanuel Sanders' soul somewhere tucked away in a closet in his house somewhere, is balling. So the front seven was always good last year. Like it, the, the front seven's been good, even though they've been beleaguered by that nut ass, like three, four, whatever the fuck we were running under chip Kelly. <laughs> the has helped, you know, it's helped Vinnie Curry be a dog. It's helped that line, like just be better as a defensive line, but it's specifically, specifically, specifically helped not only getting some pressure in the quarterback's face, but letting our secondary be dogs. Mm-hmm. Cause they eat some dogs. Well, I'll tell you what, McLeod's legit, man. And, and like I was when the Rams let him go, I knew that was just some some, some more dumb shi- shit. shitty roster management on their part because I think that they uh, I think that secondary's really missed him this year. I mean he's he's un- maybe one of the more underrated safeties in the league. Man, he's so damn good. Once I saw him smash Emmanuel Sanders last year, I was just like, <laughs> I don't know who you are, but you were one of my heroes. And like, I, I just need, I'm just waiting for like, I don't know, Cole Beasley or like somebody small and just low-key out of shape, just in his way. I just need somebody running down the sideline and him just like hit him with a bicep. Like the cloud is probably my favorite player on the defense and Malcolm Jenkins was already my favorite player on this defense. So w- listen, we going to the bowl y'all. It's fine. Hate on us. Now you ain't going to hit on this week eight when we still eight and no seven and no, whatever. I don't do math. <laughs> well, I don't know when their buy is, but it's either going to be eight is and this or seven and no. Oh, it's this, this week. week. That's right. It, yeah. It, so they'll be rest- seven and no. We resting in shit. You know what I mean? I don't even know. I don't even know what the rest of our schedule is, but it, it wouldn't even matter. Doesn't you matter. know, like we 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 going ball. I'm ex- I'm looking forward to the ne- the Cowboys game. Wow, we gonna hang like you said, Cole Beasley. That's that'd be funny to see. We, the Cowboys, the Cowboys are going to be corny. Like Dez is trash. Dak Prescott been looking great. Y'all swore Zeke Elliott was going to be dope, but he ain't dope. So I mean, like <laughs> defense horrible. We gonna ball out. We play the Lions next. Psh, all right. <laughs> Oh, Jim Schwartz would be happy to see the Lions again. I Don't beat their ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> only, only game like leading up to the Cowboys game that might give us an issue are the Vikings because the Vikings are actually looking legitimate. And it would be the funniest shit ever if Sam Bradford hung four touchdowns on the Eagles. That would actually be hilarious. And I would not even be mad. 
<laughs> you know what? I'm going to bust out in Slack if that happens. I mean, yeah, but you know, Bradford's actually looked good. And maybe it's because he's got one of the best defenses, like, I don't know, this season on his team. You know, but like Bradford's look good. Like I saw him throw a pass to Kyle Rudolph against the the, the Panthers while I was watching them lose the other week, and he it, he just seems like you know he's chilling this it's year. It's weird to see that. Like that second half of that game, he was better in the second half of that game than he was the first half. I didn't. Like, he what, was better in the second half. What yeah. universe am I living in now? I don't I don't understand it. I don't know, but looking at the schedule, I, I only see us losing about three or four times to the Vikings. Maybe the Seahawks, if they learn how to act right, the Packers, <laughs> and the Bengals. That's it. Everybody else is trash. <laughs> we go to FC East, and then we're going to pop champagne. So it don't matter. <laughs> uh, oh, man, we didn't even get into Russell Wilson. But I guess we got Cam, so that's we, we got that covered. What's wrong with Russell besides him being a bustard? <laughs> Well, I noticed he's not speaking out on the issues a whole lot. Well, he ain't going to eat. Russell knows this. Russell knows his role. He ain't going to talk about us. (laughs) Russell talked about us for like a quick second after nobody gave him any attention for being the second black quarterback to ever win a Super Bowl. And then Russell went back to whatever hole he in being a buster. So, I mean, whatever. (laughs) I'm not expecting Russell to talk about us because he don't. Richard Sherman, Michael Bennett, and Doug Baldwin could fake care, you know, for the whole team. I mean, honestly, on that team, too, I'm trying to figure out who, who talked to Jeremy Lane. See, he ain't protested since the first time he protested. So I, I'm sure somebody cussed him out. Yeah, that is, that's interesting. I didn't notice that. That's, uh, yeah, that's, I noticed, too, they don't show the, the protest as much on the networks as they used to, too. Well, I mean, that is that surprise, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I was waiting for that. And that's kind of the funny thing about this, too, that now we literally have to see these grainy ass tweets from dudes who probably don't even want to tweet what they're seeing from the press box on some. Oh, yeah. Practice player Marcus Ball put his fist up. And I don't know what this means, but uh, yeah, protest. <laughs> I mean, like, it's funny that ESPN and Fox and like CBS and all these other networks really, really, really don't want to talk about this shit. That's the best part about all of this for me is that we are forcing white dudes who traditionally would never give a fuck about this on like paper or content wise to actually converse about this. It's killing them. And it's like me snorting Coke. Like like all of this is like, I I would assume what it feels like to, to snort Coke or to, or have Coke. Like it's just a great rush of hatred in my heart for all these people having to do their jobs. And it's just great. I feel so (laughs) good. Well, that's why, you know, you come on the onside kick family hour and we talk, we're not afraid to deal with the issues on this show, Tyler. I mean, hell yeah. We got all like the 75 or so people that are going to listen to this. They're going to be informed. (laughs) (laughs) i'm just joking it's a lot more than that i'm I'm just horsing around um hey that's been uh it's been a good show we we talked a little football we got into some race race politics i mean you really can't beat that as far as good internet content goes today i mean that is some damn good internet content if there's ever been some i will tell you what (laughs) Well, we're gonna have we have a lot more internet content coming your way um, about all these issues. So I would encourage you if you're listening to the show today, maybe you're a new listener, to uh, tune in and uh, check out SBNation.com for lots more. Stephen, 
it's been a good show. Tyler, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, and if Ciroc is listening, I mean, we ought to get sponsored by Ciroc or, or Hennessy or something like that. So, you know, hit them email. <laughs> I drink Henny. Wait, 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 wait. All right. I, all right. I, I got to ask a dumb question. Go ahead. What's Ciroc? Oh, Lord. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Ciroc is this drink. You know, so you know how Alizé happened? What? All right, yeah. I don't got enough time to tell you what Ciroc is. Follow the kid on Twitter at Tyler Ricky Times because we, we can't tell RVB what Ciroc it's, is. Oh, it's vodka. <laughs> yes. It's oh, vodka. well. <laughs> but it's a culture, damn it. Man, I, I, can't, I can't drink vodka anymore. There's just, I'm too damn old for that. <laughs> I'm too young not to. <laughs> oh, you enjoy it while it lasts because so, soon you'll be in my shoes. <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, uh, thanks for tuning in today, and thanks, guys, for uh, for a very good discussion. Yeah.